Hello and welcome to the episode of Everything is Canon, a Soundlings podcast. I'm your host, Steve Duncan. However, you may have found your way here. Thanks so much for tuning in. In this podcast, we invite authors from all genres onto the show to discuss their latest books and novels, as well as just about anything else that comes to mind. If you want to reach me, there are several ways to do so, but the best way is to email me at steve at cinelinks.com, or you can always find me on Twitter at stevedunk5 or at everythingcanon. Today in the show, I'm talking to June C.L. Tan all about her debut novel, Jade Fire Gold, which is described as Girls of Paper and Fire meets the Tiger at Midnight in June C.L. Tan's stunning debut, inspired by Chinese mythology with rich magic and an epic slow burn romance. Yes, all of that is true. With ferocious action, shadowy intrigue, and a captivating romance indeed, Jade Fire Gold is a shock to the senses. When it's done, the only thing you'll want is more from this world, from this mythos, and top to bottom great cast. We talk about the long and winding road it took to get here, the hype surrounding this book, Wuxia and Junxia inspired storytelling, Jade Fire Gold of course, and much much more. While this is a spoiler free discussion, the odd minor detail may slip out, so if you haven't read the book and don't wish to be spoiled at all, better stop listening now, but definitely double back once you've read it. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. As always around these parts, we encourage supporting authors and stories that affirm the lives of people other than ourselves. Each time we either engage in a conversation, whether it be online or face-to-face, or each time we participate in the market with our purchasing choices. Just a reminder that October is National Bullying Prevention Awareness Month, so we should all take the approach, if you see something, say something. Whether it be online or out in the real world, and while it may be hard sometimes, it really could mean the world to somebody who is a victim of bullying. And this, of course, should be done all year long, not just because the Gregorian calendar says so. Okay. Jun Siel Tan grew up in Singapore, mm-hmm. where she was raised on a diet of classic books and Wuxia movies, caffeine and mm-hmm. caffeine. We just talked about caffeine and mm-hmm. uh, Kanji. She holds various degrees, three in fact, in communication studies, education and film. After teaching for a few years, she took a detour into the finance industry. To no one's surprise, she soon realized her mistake and made her escape. Now she resides in New York City, talking to imaginary people and creating fantastical worlds under the watchful eye of her crafty cat. What's your cat's name? Uh, Zach. Zach? Okay. Yeah. Under, under the watchful eye of Zach, she enjoys telling stories <laughs> that draw on both the traditional and modern to create something fresh to the eye, but familiar to the heart. She's here today to talk about her debut novel, Jade Fire Gold, which is described as Girls of Paper and Fire Meets the Tiger at Midnight in Jun Siel Khan's stunning debut, inspired by Chinese mythology with rich magic and an epic slow burn romance. Ferocious action, shadowy intrigue, and a captivating romance collide in her debut, a stunning homage to the Zhang Jia novel with a tender, beating heart, perfect for fans of The Bone Witch and We Hunt the Flame. I've read this book. I read it a while ago. Actually, I've read it twice, actually. As I said on Twitter a long time ago, the hype is fucking real, folks. This book is incredible. I'm so happy she's here. Please welcome to the show, Jun Ziel Tan. Hi, Jun. Hi. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. Of course. so, okay, I think it was on your website. You have a great website, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. Well, not all websites are created equal. <laughs> I appreciate a good one. I tried very hard. Yeah, that's, you know, the, the the biggest part problem that you'll find, you know, the further along you go to is is keeping it up to date. Um, oh, yeah. So with new releases and stuff. But uh, I don't sense we'll have that problem. One of the things, though, I noticed about pronouncing your last name, and did I say it right? Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if I caught anything weird. You said Tan, right? I said Tan, yeah. Yes, you got okay. it right. So you have yeah. a funny thing in your, not, it's not funny, but in, I think it's in the FAQ section about how to pronounce your, how to pronounce your name. And you said it's like Han Solo from Star Wars. Um, yes. And it's, it's funny because I actually know a lot of people that say Han Solo. Oh, really? It's true. And oh, no. I'm a big Star Wars guy. So, and I've, I've, I've heard both versions. I say Han. I've always said Han. So it made sense mm-hmm. to me, but I don't be surprised if you get the occasional June CL tan. <laughs> oh, I do. I do get that. And of course. I mean, that's fine. Interesting. Cause I just follow, you know, how they said his name in the movies. They say Han. So right. I was like, oh, it makes Han. exactly. It should make sense yeah. to everybody, but I've run across some 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 hand solos before. So, and of course, you know the 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 stupid English word tan, as in tanning sun. Mm-hmm. So I guess you probably mm-hmm. get that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, June Ciel Tan, beautiful name. Um, Thank you. I read. Uh, how are you doing? Congratulations, by the way, debut novel. Uh, I'm doing good. We're about, I think, three weeks before publication date, and yep. it's kind of overwhelming, but generally good, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
we're going to talk about sort of like, you know, we set out, especially as bloggers and stuff, we, we sort of sit down well in advance, map out books that are coming out throughout the year mm-hmm. and, and months and months and months, sometimes years ahead. I feel like I've been hearing about this book for a very long time. It's, uh, it was just one of the ones that sort of people have been talking about for a long time. It sort of popped up on people's radar a lot. I think a lot of that has to do with not only um, just the description of the book, but the cover. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember the first time I saw the cover, I was just like, holy fuck. Like, <laughs> like yeah. when this, you're like, I need, I don't care. I need to read this book. So that's, you know, like I said, I, I feel like I've been talking about this book for so long which means it's been uh, in your life that much longer. And I really want to get to that because um, I think your story is very interesting, actually. Um, one of the things I read, I think it was on, like I said, you have a beautiful website, which I love very much. And I read this thing. I'm going to just quote you. I think it says, as a child, I used to love searching for dandelions that had their seats <laughs> out. I I blow them into the wind and make wishes. And one of the wishes I used to make regularly was that one day I'd be an author, publish a book. Um, it's very, that's very cornball-y, right? Yes. It's, it's, it's very, extremely. it's extremely, it's very, it's very saccharine, right? And you know, I mean, yeah. no, you, you know, I'm no offense. You know, I mean, no offense. When no, I say it's that. okay. It's fine. It's, you can it's grab very, me. Right. It's, it's very saccharine, but like, it, it's mm-hmm. just a really, it's a really sweet idea. And yet here you are <laughs> right? three weeks away yeah. from being a published author. So, I mean, yeah. I got, I wonder if like, if this becomes like a public knowledge thing, which I'm sure it is to, to good, good parts of the world. I just feel like dandelions don't stand a chance. Now the people are going to be picking them like crazy <laughs> and making wishes to, uh, to yeah, have whatever, whether it's it, be an author or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things like you know, when you're a child, you don't know, like the harsher parts of the world and when someone tells you something you're kind of gullible or you're, you believe in magic when you're a child that's right so when yeah. someone tells you oh look at the flower if you blow in it you know and you make a wish the petals fell you know fall away something happens and you're just like oh I'm just gonna do that and so I was just this terrible child like killing dandelions but they're a weed so <laughs> I guess it's weed. okay so I guess it's okay <laughs> but yeah um and it is very sweet and it's and I you know I just it's such a wonderful uh no one here is discouraging dream big <laughs> you know mm-hmm. right? yeah, whether it's a big. whether it's a four-leaf clover or a dandelion or, yeah. or a, whatever good luck charm you've got sort of definitely dream big and uh you know like i said we were a few weeks away now from from accomplishing mm-hmm. that dream but it wasn't um you know, like most things, it's it's a bit of a bump. It can be a bumpy road. So Definitely. in your intro, we talked about how sort of you, you went to school for certain things, but you ended up sort of sidetracking and getting into the mm-hmm. finance industry for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the time in your life when you started to feel frustrated with that decision. And then up to the point mm-hmm. when you decided to walk away from that, which I find very mm-hmm. fucking ballsy, by the way takes a lot of nerve. It takes, listen, it takes a lot of nerve in this day and age to walk away from a, not only a steady paycheck, probably health insurance. You probably walked away from, mm-hmm. um, steady, just that, that, that security, right? Like it's, it takes mm-hmm. a lot of courage to do that. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. So you're in the finance industry, whatever. I don't know what you did there, obviously, mm-hmm. but you're sitting there and you're maybe just like twirling your pen or your pencil one day daydreaming <laughs> and whatever the situation was or scribbling, you know, mm-hmm. drawing, doodling. And, yeah. you're, and you're like, just talk to me about the moment where it was like, you know what? Fuck this. Well, first of all, I want to say that it's, I know a lot of people say that it takes a lot of courage to walk away from something steady and to pursue the arts. And while I agree, I think it also takes a lot of privilege and I would, say that you know I was in a time of my life where I could take some time off okay because I was you know because I had worked for a while I had savings I had a partner and it was through my partner that I could get health insurance okay so that was definitely the advantage because you know in America you know it's it's really like the healthcare industry is just screwed up so yeah putting it mildly Um, putting it mildly yeah yeah putting putting it really mildly (laughs) and not swearing um so I was just unhappy with my job. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a bad job. You know, I, I did things that <clears throat> I thought were fine, but it just felt like 
I don't know if you can call it a midlife crisis, <laughs> but anyway, it was just kind of like, oh, but I don't really want to do this for the rest of my life. Sure, you know, I'm going to, it's, I can get it done. I'm going to have a steady paycheck and everything that I need to live, to survive. But then am I going to live, if that right. makes sense? Yeah, you just so, don't want to survive, yeah. Yeah, and I kind of thought that, look, if you're in a, if I'm in a position, I had the opportunity to take some time off to try this out. So why not do it at the most, you know, I screw up and I go back to work and, you know, that's definitely a privilege there. Mm -hmm. um, but in a way it also came from like many years of not doing things that I wanted to do because like growing up in Singapore, like, you know, you're not going to be an author. You're going to be like, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, an office person, because that's how um, the society was structured like people who went into the arts you know like your parents would be disappointed your relatives are going to talk about it you know it's really hard to be an author in um, Singapore and have a job it's going to be like sort of a hobby like no one's going to well at, at least when I was there like no one was really going to take you that seriously things have changed which is great you know but definitely because it's such a small country the industry is like different and it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of Singaporeans who want to pursue creative things or innovative things, they kind of like look outwards, you know, before maybe returning home. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the period of me like doing that. Okay, I have wings. Maybe I'll try to fly. If I fall flat, you know, I'll just go back home, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I feel like it's a privilege to have that kind of nest there for you sure. to come back if you fail. And, and so I didn't want to like just stay in the nest. I wanted to try if I failed, I failed, you know, but it was just the act of trying that I felt um, was important. So, yeah. So, and because I always wrote when I was a child, mm -hmm. I just never thought that author was an actual profession. Right. You know, like I just thought that, oh, if you wrote, you just wrote in your free time or you wrote little silly little stories in your bedroom and you hide it away and nobody sees it. Mm -hmm. um, and then that was then when I started doing some research at first I thought like, Oh, maybe I could go into editorial. Like I wanted to work in publishing. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the salaries and I was like, Ooh, <laughs> you know, not, not that an author has it any better because you know, you're an independent contractor and taxes are crazy here, yeah. but it's kind of like, wow, you know, I don't, I'm not, I have degrees, but I'm not really qualified for the entry-level job in publishing, and yet they're going to pay me something that was lower than what I got when I graduated from college. So right. it just seemed kind of like, whoa. You know, it was a wake-up call. So I did a lot of research, and I was like, look, what I really loved wasn't publishing, but was the writing, so let me try to write a book. And so I tried to write a book. <laughs> What's, yeah. um, did you go to school in Singapore or here? Yes, um, I went to school in Singapore until undergrad, and then I um, went into teaching for a few years, and then I came to um, New York for graduate school. Okay. So I only studied in the U.S. for, yeah, for graduate school. So how old were you at that point then when you came to the U.S.? I was, how old was I? In my late 20s, I think. Late 20s, okay. Yeah, in my 20s, yeah. And you came by yourself or with family? Or oh, were you with, the, or were you with your, with your part? Oh, by yourself. Okay. Yeah. So what was, why did you decide to do that? Well, I always wanted to study abroad and mm -hmm. I wanted to do undergraduate abroad, but you know, financially that was not possible for me and my family. And um, I didn't get a scholarship. Mm -hmm. I wasn't a scholarship kid. Cause like, I didn't study that hard, unfortunately. Right. Um, so and then, yeah, I just, I think it's one of those strange things where I wanted to do something and I tried to find a way to do it. So I, I mean, I researched graduate schools, I applied and so on. And basically the main point at, uh, at that point in my life, I wanted to stay in academia. I wanted to be a professor. I wanted yeah. to like get a PhD and be a lecturer at a university because, um, well, I don't necessarily love school, but I do like enjoy discussing ideas and like teaching mm -hmm. and, you know, writing um, papers. So that was the plan. But when I came to the U.S., what happened was um, I think a week after I landed, the big crash of 2008 happened. Right. So everything in New York shut down and then um, 
what's that thing called? Oh yes. And then all the, it affected universities. Right. So all the liberal arts and, you know, film and media departments were closing down. They were not offering like tenure. They're not, basically it was really difficult to go on to postgraduate work or to do a PhD after that um, without some funding because funding dried up. Right. So um, after I finished my master's at NYU, I was like, okay, fine, you know, go back to work. You know, you're trying to do this. It didn't work out. Go back to work. So, I mean, I feel like that's kind of like my entire life. Like I worked on an opportunity, tried to do what I want, couldn't do it, went back to work on an opportunity to what I wanted, hope, hoping I'll succeed. So, yeah. <laughs> it's called trial, <laughs> trial and error, right? Trial and error. Yes. Um, yes. So yeah. when that, when the schooling part sort of fell through because of everything you just said, did you, mm-hmm. like at that point, had you decided that you're like, you were going to stay in the US or did going back home, was that an option? Um, I decided to stay in the US because um, there is, if you study, if you're a, um, you're an international student and you study in the US college, you can apply for, I think, I'm not sure what the guidelines or rules are now, but during my time, you could have one year of like um, work training. You'd yep. be on a work training visa. So if you could get a job that was related to your degree and show proof that, you know, you have a right to stay in this country and you were contributing, then you could stay. So I found a job nice. that, you know, fit that, that, um, that criteria. So I stayed. Yeah. Um, and I guess I was kind of hoping to maybe still eventually do my PhD, but you know, right. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. was like, how was this with your family back home? Were they happy, sad, angry? Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, family is complicated, right? Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think they were the happiest. Yeah, but I was an adult, and yep. I felt like you know it was time to do what I wanted to do. And were you always you know, sort of if, like going against the grain type of thing, or? Um, I don't think so, but I no. think some people might think so. <laughs> if I was you to know, ask your parents that question, what would their answer be? Yeah. Uh, my my dad has passed, so okay. and uh, my parents are divorced, so I okay. don't think like I don't think my dad would like have anything bad or good to say yeah yeah I feel like my mom for my mom it's it's like a very Asian parent thing it's like you know if your child does something against the grain you're kind of like frowning at them but if they succeed right that's that, a whole different story then it was their idea so, yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, even if it's not their idea then okay they have something to you know tell other relatives that's about. right that's so right so it's, it's it's not so much whether what you do but whether you succeed i see um yeah what uh how long ago did your dad (laughs) dad pass my dad my dad died about 10 years ago so i'm sorry yeah it's okay Um, that's fine i think it was just before the pandemic oh so recently okay well sorry to hear that Mm -hmm. sorry to hear that um so how was the first sort of like a couple years for you in the U.S. emotionally? Were you sort of feeling like a stranger in a strange land? Did you feel comfortable? Really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mentioned privilege before. So I feel yeah. like it's because I grew up in Singapore and I was part of the majority mm-hmm. ethnicity. Right. I'm um, Chinese Singaporean. My ethnicity is Chinese. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I grew up like with people who look like me. I grew up with people who look like me on the TV, you know, I, and my classmates, you know, look Chinese or they looked Indian. I mean, basically we're Asian, you right. know, it's an Asian country smack in the middle of Asia. So there's a bit of like, you know, this, there, there's a comfort that you grow up with because you're, if you get bullied, it's at least if I were to get, have gotten bullied in school, it would have, it would not have been because of my race. That's right. You know, so it's a different kind of dynamic. So when mm-hmm. I first came here, um, I mean, there was a bit of an adjustment because I'm no longer just me. I'm considered like, you know, a BIPOC, a BIPOC, you know, a marginalized person. It's, it's like a totally different thing. So right. you know, it's kind of like taking, taking, like basically it was kind of like moving, you know, coming out of my comfortable shoes and wearing a different pair of shoes and going like, oh, so this is how it is. 
well, like Asian Americans of people of color in America. Right. Well, so you'd, you'd, like you'd never been adjusting. right. You'd never been yeah. othered. You'd never been othered before. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, so. Um, so it was like, I mean, but I think because, you know, I think like ch- um, childhood and adolescence is very foundational to growth mm-hmm. and to like a person. Mm-hmm. And if you had grown up in a um, environment where you're really comfortable being yourself, when you're faced with, you know, people being racist or people being mean, how you respond to it and how you, you know, deal with it is slightly different from someone who has grown up in a situation where since they were kids, they've been put in, you know, very uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. So the reaction and the feeling is different. I mean, obviously I felt terrible and I still feel terrible, but it's kind of different how I cope with it. I think. Yeah, right. Like I just happen to be lucky to have, know a bit more coping mechanisms maybe sure yeah so it definitely comes from like a place of privilege to be able to say this right yeah and some people just have thicker skin than others too and are, are able to <laughs> right for sure you know and it's true though right like some people can mm-hmm. let things sort of roll where others you know start throwing punches <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um so all right well i'm glad uh i'm glad you decided to stick it out because uh you know we've got this fucking incredible book now from you so that's great um and, and you. you didn't waste away in a little finance cubicle somewhere <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> day, daydreaming about the wonderful books you've I mean, written um yeah <laughs> and, and and listen no offense to people in the finance cubicle mm-hmm. cubicle people and all these things what you know it's mm-hmm. you do what you got to do for sure but uh um, and some people enjoy it i think 100 percent like, you know yeah 100 yeah. percent true so it just it just wasn't for you and that's and that's great mm-hmm. um and you and yeah. it's a good point you make about because not you know i know people that have quit jobs to become full-time writers and didn't have that safety net that that you sort of mm-hmm. talked about having right that that either, yeah. ha- either having like a supportive partner or family or mm-hmm. financially and whatever and so um, mm-hmm. but I still, you know, I still think it's, it takes, takes guts to do that, I think. But, um, so like we sort of talked about, um, you know, this is one of the books I feel like I've been hearing about for a long time. I remember like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's just been on everyone's radar for a really long time now. Um, we're so close to the release and you've got like all these great big names blurbing about it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Rosie Brown and. Um, Joan He and all these great authors blurbing it. Mm-hmm. You've got um, a starred review from Kirkus. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you've got like it's like there's all this, there's all this stuff, excitement, you know, surrounding this release. Um, as a debut author, <clears throat> you don't really have the benefit of knowing what to expect necessarily. I'm, you have author mm-hmm. friends that I'm sure have prepared you well enough, but do you feel pressure? Are you do you are you the type of person that feels feels pressure? Um... Yes and no, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in the sense that I definitely get really anxious and stressed. Yeah. But um, after like getting over the anxiety, I kind of go into like work mode or I kind of like rationalize sure. myself out of, you know, a bad hit space. Right. Um, for better or worse. I don't know if like talking to myself helps, but anyway, um, <laughs> as for pressure, I think, I think at some point, like it's not just debut authors, but I think at some point, like when you write something and <clears throat> it's going to go out to the world, you have to accept that it's no longer yours. That's right. You know, and like, you know, someone's going to hate it. Someone's going to love it. Either way, it's going to be like anxious, like, Strangely, whenever like someone DMs me or a, a reader who read the art says like, oh my God, I love your book. I'll be like, no, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, not because I necessarily think my book is bad, but because it's just like, I don't really know how to react. And then it took a while before I'm like, look, they enjoyed the book. Let them have it, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, now when someone tells me, I'll be like, yay, that's great. You know, good for you. You enjoyed the book. Um, I'm glad and um, it's interesting that you brought up like other author friends Um, I think that I'm also really lucky that I meet um, good friends in the industry Mm -hmm. some of them have been published some of them uh, are still trying to get published some of them are just people who write but not necessarily are writing to be published 
Right. You know, so it's it's like I managed to form a pretty strong support network if I'm feeling really down or I need advice. I have people to talk to. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'll kind of like advise anyone who's trying to break into publishing. You know, like make friends and yeah. like make friends, make friends because you want friends. Don't make friends because you want someone to blow up your book or someone to like retweet your tweets because that's not how friendship works. And that's not how it's going to work when you meet them, right. you know, because we're all friends for emotional support than anything else. That's yeah. right. And especially within, because I pretty much 99% only talk to marginalized authors within the marginalized mm-hmm. author community. There's this really great just sense of like family and kinship, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's us against them type of thing. Right. Um, and there's like, I bang on what you just said, like, don't do it because you need something from them. Do it because you want to, you, you're looking for some help. You're looking for some advice or just, mm-hmm. or just support. And the, the one, one thing that I see happen all the, pretty much hundred percent of the time is that you do that and then you get to pay that back. So yes. when you're a published mm-hmm. author and you're, you get to befriend the next debut author and they're going to come to you for advice or for support and you get to pay that mm-hmm. back you know pay it forward again it's such a wonderful this symbiotic relationship amongst all these authors helping each other mm-hmm. propping each other up bringing each other for like it's about bringing everyone together right it's not leave without mm-hmm. no no one gets left behind you know what I mean so yeah it's a really wonderful thing that I see happening and that's why I love things like pitch wars and dv pit mm-hmm. and all these great things mm-hmm. online and all you you're a met you you go from mentee to mentor right it's such a great mm-hmm. such a great thing um but i really love that that concept of of being able to pay it forward and and uh yeah creating this like you said this environment where you can feel yeah because it's a unique position you're in and there's no, like yeah of course there's so many books that come out but it's still mm-hmm. a unique position to be in right only so many mm-hmm. people can understand what you are feeling right now so um, it's really great to be able to reach out to someone and say, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. Tell, is this how you felt? And they're going to say yes or no. And here's why. And it's really wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. Art is process. This was a bit of a bumpy road in the sense that like you've, this book didn't just manifest out of thin air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I wish like, it did. Right. <laughs> of, of course, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. yeah. It's not like you wrote one outline. It was perfect. You submitted it. Somebody bought it. Here we go. Talk about mm-hmm. um, this sort of journey that this, this book, this story Ooh. went on. Um, I hope like, I don't know how the podcast is, how long the podcast is going to run, but I hope you have time. <laughs> as long as you want, um, as long as you want it to. Yeah. So let's, I guess, Going back to the beginning, I think it was about end of 2005 that I had an idea. And funny you said that, you know, it was a little cheese ball with the dandelions. Like yep. how Jake Firegold started is like super, super cheesy too. I had a dream, Steve. <laughs> I had a dream. <laughs> of course you did, June. Of course you did. Of course, I... dandelion girl. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had like a, a dream and there was this image of a girl and she was like standing in a little desert and the desert was like like eating everything. It wasn't just sand. It was like a creature of sorts. And I knew like, you know, this girl was trying to survive. And for some reason, I thought she's going to have a grandmother. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I just woke up and I was like, oh, that's very, it was an image that kind of stayed with me. And I didn't think anything much, much of it because, you know, it's in a dream. I'm just like, it's a dream. And a few days later, I went to watch um, The Force Awakens. (laughs) And, you know, like near the start, there was Ray standing in the desert, picking up, you know, metal trash, trying to survive. And I was like, what is this? You know, so I kind of thought, oh, okay, maybe, you know, think about that image a little bit more. Is there a story about the goal and so on? So... At that point, had you been um, thinking about writing a story, though, or was this was this? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was. Okay, I was right. writing something else that okay. no one's ever going to read because it is trash. <laughs> so it was. It was like an urban fantasy about dreams, where conceptually it was interesting, but you know, well, the don't structure throw it. Don't throw just... it out because when you're a huge successful author, you'll get to write it again. Don't worry. Maybe, just, hopefully, or or at least data mine it, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, some yeah. scenes and all that. Yeah. Um, don't writers if you're listening never throw anything away no, like, keep no, it away never. you're gonna yeah. you're gonna find a use for it that's right yeah so i kind of like 
thought about um, that girl off and on. And it was only in later in 2016, I think end of 2016, that I started writing it. Okay. And um, it went through like so many drafts. I think the first chapter was written and rewritten like almost a hundred times. Wow. Okay. And then I queried during DV Pit in 2017. Uh, I got a lot of requests and reads, but um, no offers. I think it's because like, you know, I didn't really know how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could write, but I couldn't tell a story. And those are two very, very different things. Of course. Um, so I, a friend was like, you know, maybe you should enter Pitch Wars. So I entered Pitch Wars end of 2017. Um, I had a mentorship. Then I rewrote um, half of the book sometime in 20, end of 2017 um, during the mentorship period. And the first chapter, which I had written, rewritten a hundred times i just threw it away and wrote a new first chapter okay and i was like wow this sucks (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) i rewrote this a hundred times and no one's ever gonna see it um so also a lesson learned like don't be precious about something you know just because you rewrite it like a hundred different like a hundred times maybe you were just changing three words that's right. That's not how you tell a story. Right. So that was a great like mentorship process because it made me like, you know, kill my darlings if they were not working. That's right. So, yeah. Don't don't fall yeah. too in love with your ideas or your characters. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or if you do and you need you need at the end of the day, you have to find a way to make your darlings work. If they don't work, they don't work. It's as simple as that. Right. Well, you've yeah. got the, the you've got the kernel, the seed, the idea. And then mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, that as long as you you keep that, right? And what what sort mm-hmm. of the periphery stuff will change certainly over time and through editing processes. So yeah. Yeah. But um mm-hmm. so it was through Pitch Wars that I got an agent, and then we went on submission early 2018. Um, and I think it might have been the tail end of like the diverse YA fantasy trend. I hate to use the word trend, but yeah. you know, you know what I mean? No, and, it's, um, it's a, we're, in a, we're in a YA renaissance right now. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And um, what happened was like a lot of feedback was like, oh, we love the writing, but the market's really saturated with fantasy. Mm. So we can't buy this book. So basically um, my book didn't sell after I think about like six months. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I took some of the feedback. There wasn't much feedback. It was a lot of it was like market, you know, and the market's too saturated. So, um, but then I reread it after some distance and I was like, wow, okay, I think I have to change certain things. So I rewrote it, rewrote, I think, rewrote and rearranged, I want to say like half of it again, or maybe more, um, end of 2018. And then we went on submission again in 2019, early 2019. And then um, for six months, once again, we were hearing like, oh my God, this is really good. I really love it. Can you send us June's next book? Because we don't think that, you know, an Asian epic fantasy is going to sell. Mm. And so we're not going to add it to the list. So mm. um, I thought like, oh, this book is never going to sell. But um, I think it was in July that we finally got an offer from an imprint. And so, yeah, I had a book deal, which was great, you know, after like so many years and like months and months on submission. Um, and what happened was um, I was waiting for my edit letter and then my editor quit. <laughs> so I changed, you know, I, I had a new editor and then um, just before the pandemic in like January, 2020, uh, my a- my agent got a call from the imprint and they were like, we're restructuring so we're not going to publish some of our YA titles <laughs> and my book was on the list of we are not going to publish this book mm. um so they were like do you want your rights back or do you want us to hang on to it and maybe we will publish it like next year or the year after right and my agent and I were like but the books is in the we had a cover the book was in copy edits. Are you sure you don't want to publish it? And they were sure they didn't want to publish it. Um, so what happened was my agent um, put it out again to very specific editors. And my current editor like was like, okay, I'm, I like this. I'm going to take it to acquisitions. So I think it went into some kind of acquisitions meeting for 
it to get approved. And then it sort of sold again, but not really. Um, because the imprint that um, was restructuring was a HarperCollins imprint. And then uh, we were trying to get an internal transfer to see if another HarperCollins imprint wanted to take it. So just so that we weren't truly going on submission again, this was kind of like internal submissions. I don't know the right word for it. But anyway, my, my agent worked things out. Um, this editor got approval to transfer my book into Harper Teens imprints. And mm -hmm. then um, sometime during the pandemic, you know, early in the pandemic, I want to say like April or May, like this, this happened. And then I had a book deal again, but then it was going to come out in 2021. Right. Like the original publication date was um, fall 2020. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably why a lot of people are like, we've been hearing for th about this book for a long time. And I'm like, yes, I know, because it was supposed to come out in 2020 and <laughs> yeah. like in the fall. And then it's coming out one year later. And I'm like, yes, I am also tired of hearing about this book. <laughs> like, please, just just release get already. Out. Get out, you release know? already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's kind of like the long. Yeah, no, that's. Journey. Uh, I, I knew, I, well, I, 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 you know, asked you on purpose. I knew it was sort of a longish, you know, bumpy, mm -hmm. bumpy road. And, and the, the yeah. reason why it's important, why I wanted to, to talk about it was because I want people out there to understand, like, if you really believe in your story, don't give up because mm -hmm. it can take a long time. It yeah. just, right. And the industry changes so quickly. So yeah. often people come and go, like I was just talking to another author who had three editors on their one book oh, because, because well, people behind the scene, people don't realize how many, how much people behind the scenes move around. Right. So mm -hmm. um, it's uh, just don't give up. If you believe in your idea and, and you, you know, you feel that strongly about it, don't, don't give up on it. And it's great. You, you know, if you've got people that believe in it as well, that helps obviously, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I, want, I thought it was important to tell that story because um, we mm -hmm. don't want people to give up on it. Um, so this story is heavily inspired by, you know, Wuxia and uh, Zhenxia, you mm -hmm. know, and we've seen some really great stories this year, you know, other ones that have come out already in a similar vein. And there's some success to be found there. And I worry about it, and I, I wonder if you worry about it at all, that, you know, if, if it does get sort of successful and we start seeing a more Western approach, a Western sort of attachment to it, is there any worry that it'll be start being packaged in a way that, like, dilutes the honesty and sort of, like, the beauty of the culture in favor of, like, a mass market success? Is that something you think about at all, or? That's such an interesting question, Steve. Um... Because it think... happens. We've seen it happen mm -hmm. before with yeah. other things, right? With other cultures. We it comes to the West, we yeah. we grab it, we make we pretend that we invented it <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and and make and 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 turn it white, basically. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and then it just but we end up just like giving our version of the culture and our version of mm -hmm. history. And it's just never as good, obviously. It's right. Well, I think it's a I think it's a very complex issue. Um I definitely have some worry. I mean, I would be the first to admit that there are certain things in Jake Baragold that I revised out, that I had to take out, that, you know, I tweaked a little bit just so it wasn't completely, like, you know, out there yeah. to the general audience in America, um, especially since because, like, the bulk of the book was written in 2019, and that was kind of, like, before a lot of... Um, East Asian fantasies were out. Um, that was read about, I think it was, the book was finished before like things like the Poppy War was, you know, released and got so much traction yep. before She Who Became the Sun, um, kind of during the time of Descendant of the Crane, um, kind of like during the year of Spin the Dawn. So it was a, that, so Jake Fargo, the bulk of it kind of predates what you could call like a mini East Asian um, sort of like, an embracing of, you know, East Asian yeah. fantasy. Yeah, we don't want to say we don't want to say explosion. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's it's not an explosion. It's yeah, still it was, a, it was. But yeah. but it but you're right. It has. I mean, yeah. the Poppy War trilogy. You know, full disclosure is maybe my favorite uh, favorite oh. fantasy trilogy mm -hmm. of all time. Um, but yeah, uh, it's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's we have we've definitely had we get yeah instances of of things that hit with the general public but yeah we're it's still yeah. it's still percentage wise it's still a small uh yeah. yeah and also like um 
in the recent year or so, or maybe two years or so, like the Untamed and Word of Honor, like you know, yep. and and some other Korean high fantasies and and on Netflix, for example, yep. um, um, kind of like got some. I wouldn't say mainstream traction because it's still a very niche audience, but at least people were more open to things like that and That's like right. Chinese dramas that you know. Um, the Chinese companies put up on YouTube for people to view, or like those streaming websites like Viki and so on. Mm-hmm. So I, I I feel like there are people that are familiar with the tropes and the genre, and they want to see the the authenticity. But I don't necessarily think that that audience always intersect, like fully intersects with the YA reader. Right. So you know, it's it's like a Venn diagram. So there's a little like you know, little subsection that that will intersect. And overlap that's but, right you know kind of a different audience in a certain way um especially since that if you think about wuxia and xianxia on screen it's extremely visual mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. sometimes when you're writing stuff about the long sleeves and ropes like if you've never seen it you're gonna think it's kind of silly like they're waving it around because you're like why are you waving your hand around <laughs> you know but if you see it you kind of understand what the the writer is trying to say that's right you know and um i also think that the recent um popularity of web, web novels from asia that have been translated to english um also kind of helps um but back you know going back to your original question about whether i have a worry um i don't know if it's a strong worry. It could also because maybe I'm a bit of an idealist, a right. realistic idealist. Kind of like I'm just hoping that you know, um, publishers and editors in YA understand that you know if you're gonna have um, someone from a different culture writing about this culture, it's a very dangerous. Right. Road to go down. If yeah. that person hasn't done a research, is that person, you know, just picked it for the aesthetics? That's right. You know. Well. So I'm hoping that that's a realization that you know that's probably not what we want to be doing in 2021. Yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little more cynical than you. It sounds like. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. No, I know. Cynical. I know. I know. It just. It just. I'm so. I'm so fucking jaded. Like. It, Jade. Speaking oh. of Jade, it's it's just oh. I don't know. Like it, it, I I tr- just I, I am working on it. I'm trying to be more optimistic and more hopeful. Like you like you sound like you're trying to be as well. So um, <laughs> let's hope so because I just I love these stories so much and I would just hate yeah. to see like just somebody get a hold of it and, and just twist it and turn it into something that yeah. just isn't isn't what intention is such an important word, right? Like what what yeah. is the intent? What is the original? intention of, of what the, the author is trying to tell. And I just, mm-hmm. I hate it when people take something and twist mm-hmm. the intention into something else. So um, speaking of wonderful stories, Jade Fire Gold, mm-hmm. uh, is this a series? It's gotta be, it has to be a series, right? <laughs> like I, I, just, oh, I don't feel- I am- I've been plagued with this question. So what? Of course was, you will, because I mean, if once people read this book, <laughs> the ending is just like- you know. what, what happened was, um, I had originally planned it as a trilogy yep. that was slightly different. The ending was slightly different. And then I thought, okay, you know, um, editors are saying, you know, people people in the industry are saying trilogy is not selling. Okay, fine, a, a duology then. Yep. Um, but because no one wanted to buy the book and the, the only in house that offered said it's a one book deal and it's going to be a standalone. Mm. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> um, and when it, when it um, transferred to Harper Teen, it, like they kept the, the terms of the deal. Right. Um, so it's still a one book deal. So I'm sorry, everyone. It's a one book deal. I don't know what may happen in the future, but you know, that's how I, it's going uh, to be for now. <laughs> this is like, um, well, people will understand when they read the book. And I think people will be very frustrated to learn that it's a one book deal. So what we need to do is buy this book, <laughs> right? Make sure this book is a bestseller. So HarperCollins has no choice but to sign you quickly to another book because I'm sure you have more story to tell. I have no doubt about it. Well, you just said you uh, had had the idea for yeah. a trilogy. So, and once they read the, this book and the ending in particular, especially the epilogue, which by the way, I'm a huge epilogue person, wonderful epilogue. 
Um, Yay! Um, so and, many people hate prologues and no, epilogues. No, I hate the I, I hate those. I people. love <laughs> I love prologues and epilogues. So do I. I don't know why. Like I am just, a I am a cover to cover person. I read everything, yeah, and um, I like front matter, back matter. Like I read mm-hmm. it all, and I I'm with you. And I I think people who don't like prologues and epilogues suck. Um, <laughs> Um, it's true though because they're great listen you're the author if you wrote it i'll read it um anyways the epilogue is fantastic and uh Mm -hmm. and i mean again (laughs) there's obviously more start to tell so uh we'll just have to make sure we buy this book everyone so that uh harper has no choice but to give you another another book um all right jade fire gold in an empire on the brink of war, on is no one with no past and no family. Alton has uh, is a lost heir. His future stolen away as a child. When they meet, Alton sees in on a path to reclaiming the throne. On sees a way to finally unlock her past and understand her arcane magical abilities. But they may have to put a far deadlier price than either could have imagined. Um, this is going to be tricky to talk about without spoilers. But um, one thing I liked about this book, it's very the exposition in the first two chapters of this book is, is loaded. Like you give us so much information in the first two chapters of this book and introduces to so many people right away. Mm -hmm. Um, I just felt like you instantly immerse us into this world, Mm -hmm. you know, into the minds of these two characters. And, and, and again, we, you give us a pretty big cast right away. Mm -hmm. And then I like how you sort of parse that the rest of the way through. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like, boom, yeah. lots of lots. Here's lots of shit. And mm-hmm. now let's break it down. And you do that in such a wonderful, balanced way. Um, and one of the big things that sort of runs throughout this book, obviously, is the Tansai magic, which mm-hmm. works on the principle of key, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or life force. Talk about the magic. Where did the magic come from? Just a slight tangent before I talk about the magic. It's interesting that you mentioned that the first two chapters were like overloaded. Yeah. in a way and um like I thought about it and I was like oh maybe this is how I write because this is how see Chinese dramas are like you know sure. you go into yep. Chinese no I, and I didn't mean in a bad way and it like just, I'm, it's not a negative oh, way no I, I didn't think that it's just yeah, okay. I know like some people are not used to it right but you know like growing up as a child you're just forced to remember like all the names and all the faces and everything R- right <laughs> it's right. like it's like if you're a k-pop fan you right. know, if you're going to stand 17, there are like so many members, you know, That's right. so you just have to remember everything. I don't <laughs> know. Right. Maybe it's an Asian thing. I don't know. But like, we like big cast. That's good. Um, no, anyways. I love it. It's great. And like I said, it's, it's, it's wonderful because one thing I, I don't necessarily always like is when we, is when they, int- we introduce or meet characters, important characters really late in the story. Mm-hmm. Because at that point you're in, you're so you're so into the vibe and, and sort mm-hmm. of like the cadence and the rhythm yeah. of the story. Sometimes if it's done well, it's it's great. But some sometimes when it's not done well, it throws you off balance. It takes you out of the story. True. So I yeah. love this. I love this idea of giving us all the information right up front, and then then you parse it out. Then you start to sort of break it down. So, but anyways, yeah, magic. Yeah, yeah the magic. So um, it's elemental magic, and I kind of like uh, mushed it a little because I think like the I think it's the Greek concept of elemental of elementals is the four things right um fire water oh am i missing one wind uh, wind, wind water fire earth and metals you do the, the five yeah in your yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah so um it's kind of like i took some of it from um the chinese five elements Wuxing. Yep. Yep. Um, except there is no, um, there's no wind. Like wind isn't really part of it. They do earth, if I'm not wrong. And um, I just didn't necessarily want to. Okay, this was me. Oh, it, it's wood. In the Chinese five elementals, it's fire, water, wood, metal, okay. and earth. And I kind of wanted it to look more visual mm-hmm. because um, I'm. A, I'm just a visual thinker. Like I have a scene in my head and then I have to try to word it out because I, I see in pictures, I think in pictures. Um, so to me, like wind was just something that, you know, would look better <laughs> in no, a way. No, listen, but, wood, wait, wood's boring. <laughs> I, I'm wood's boring. Like, I, I didn't really want yeah. to move trees because it's so specific. Like wood is so specific. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not even earth. It's like wood. 
Well, plus you, you got to have trees around and then, yeah. And, and which is difficult, <laughs> which is difficult in a desert. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And um, what was I saying? Oh yeah. And um, the whole thing like goes back to chi or ki. Um, it's basically breath in Mandarin, right. but it means like also life force. And um, it's, it's still something that people believe in now. It's like a philosophy makes a little bit of traditional Chinese me- medicine kind of thing. Like, you mm. know, you have this breath that, that all this life force that runs through your body yep. and it affects your internal organs, the way you breathe, the way you move and your health, in other words. So um, if you watch Avatar The Last Airbender, they do a pretty good job, like, you know, kind of like showing how it works. Like um, there's this scene where, I don't know if you're familiar with the cartoon, I assume you are. Mm-hmm. There's this scene where um, Uncle Iroh, teaches Zuko how to like you know transfer his energy into lightning yep and the mountaintop so basically it's that kind of um idea where you're taking like what's inside of you and melding it with the elements outside of you and transferring it and in Jade Fire Gold I have it such that um certain characters who are sort of like blessed or cursed with magic they have an affinity to a specific element or more elements. So they're able to manipulate that element a bit more, whether it's fire or water, um, using their internal like life force. Um, and um, if you watched, I don't know if you watched Shang-Chi. Have you watched Shang-Chi? Yep. Yeah, so there's the the part where Michelle Yeoh is kind of like teaching Simu Liu how to, you know, do that Tai Chi thing and she moves her leg. And you know that the the wind moves yep. and so on. So it's kind of like that visual idea of how you know this magic system works. Right. Yeah. Um, it's good that you said blessed or cursed because in your book, uh, did I say that, did I say that right, Tiansai? Yeah. Tiansai. Close. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, in when we enter this world, Tiansai people who wield this magic are mm-hmm. um, not looked upon <laughs> favorably by. By the people yes. that are in power, anyways, there's a disconnect yes. between the people, you know, the, the real people of the world and the people in power. And the people in power and these priests, they have a mm-hmm. um, a group of priests who are who have spent a long time trying to rid the world of these Tiansai magic wielders mm-hmm. to the point where it's illegal to even, uh, it's, it's of course that you can't practice this magic at all, but it's illegal mm-hmm. even if you help them or support them in some way, house them, give, yeah. even, even giving them water is illegal and it's yeah. punish, it's punishable by like pretty brutal. They cut your tongue out, they shave your head and they brand yeah. you and they brand you even um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a really dangerous situation for these magic wielders. And so now mm-hmm. we have here's on and Alton. Um, mm-hmm. And you talk about this sort of right away, how there's, there's something inside of them. It's, you know, not, not necessarily fine tuned yet. Right. Um mm-hmm even less so for on, but um, this idea though of, of it's metaphorical, obviously, and, and mm-hmm. having this idea of, of these people are, are suppressed in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And we have this sort of man, this sort of mandate of heaven idea in your story mm-hmm. and how that conflicts with people. take this and use that to divide mm-hmm. people and create yeah. this fear uh, yeah. and, and so that's sort of talk about sort of like setting the table there. So you've got like, you know, your two lead characters who are not only diametrically opposed at the beginning to each other, because they, they have different, their own mandates, but then how even they're even apart from society in general too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so where do I start? With, okay. and, and without spoilers, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's basically, the... basically, talk about sort of just like the makeup of, of Alden and On, like when you were sort of deciding okay. what what they were going to look like yeah. and, and how we were going to be. You know, when we first meet them, they're in yeah. they're both in you know precarious sort of positions, right? Okay, I may ramble if I ramble. Just you know, if I get confusing, just stop me. No worries. Um, so the the seed of the idea of the Tiansai and the magic and why they're so um, suppressed. And I guess oppressed is basically comes from our world in the sense where, you know, if someone is other and someone is different, on yep. um, majority of you, there is fear. So I was trying to like, you know, kind of sort of make a light commentary on that because I mean, what's actually happening in the book is genocide. If you think about it, right. Um, because a p- specific group of people are singled out and then they're kind of like told that, 
okay, there are different, there are the costs for all our woes, there are costs for while our economy is bad, there are costs for why our crops are failing. So we're going to kill them, we're going to hunt them down and kill them. And if you help them, you're one of them too, and we're going to punish you. So, and the reason why the punishment for helping these um, people of magic is so, so severe is because of fear. Mm-hmm. So basically the whole idea was the empire, the Shi empire, the, the, the emperors before were, were ruling the country by fear, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it's sort of contrasted in the different towns that An and Altan visit. So when you're going to a poorer town, there's more fear, there's more like poverty and so on. When you go to a richer town, you know, people don't like... Um, not to spoil, okay, it's not a spoiler. Um, when they visit one of the, 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 the wealthier towns, you know, like the river town, because there's water and so on, it's not like a parched, dry area. Right. You know, people are dressed beautifully, they have silks, so or they go to the capital, everyone is wealthy. No one seems to think there is a war, everything is fine, which is often what you find in our world. You know, even in the same country, if you go to like, you know, the places where there's a lot of poverty, the differences you know, you see between how people are living versus people in the big cities, it's completely, you know, like, you know, 180 degrees. So that was what I was trying to show. Um, and as for the two main characters, um, I guess Anne was, I kind of thought of Anne as kind of like, you know, just just your normal, common, ordinary person who happens to have magic, um, trying to survive. That's why in the first chapter, you see that she actually tells her friend, no, don't help that person. You know, right. she starts off as not so much selfish, but kind of like very, very pragmatic and, you know, just fear and also fearful right. and also, you know, very practical, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why the people that you meet in the first chapter in that desert town who, you know, are just people trying to survive. That's why um, the physician, you know, tells her, go find someone else. You know, why should I help you? I already mm-hmm. helped you. Right. You know, I'm not getting anything in return. You know, so that, that's kind of like the attitude. And, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, people won't, readers won't think that, oh, these are terrible people, but more like they're like this because that's how their society, their microcosm, society, their small society was, you know, became this way because they had to do it to survive. Mm. You know, it's very transactional mm-hmm. because, you know, you're just trying to find food, you know, you, you're not, you know, this is, you're not thinking about anything else. You know, you're right. only thinking about yourself or your immediate family. So, Whereas like Altan starts off as kind of like all these lofty ideals in mm-hmm. a way, like I am going to save the world. I'm going to save my country. I'm going to make my father proud, you know? Um, so, so even though like, you know, he was a prince and then he was banished or he ran away or he was exiled, whatever you want to call it. And he still lived a pretty comfortable life, you know? It, so um... he comes from a different status altogether from on right yeah i won't say why but it's it's so they start with different goal having different goals in mind um mm-hmm. of course as they spend more time together they they understand there is some overlap with their goals mm-hmm. and yeah. we, won't, we won't talk about the ending obviously but i really liked how you sort of subverted this thing at the end of this book where they're still apart on some issues even at the end mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah. thought that was really, really cool and really clever. Yeah. Uh, um, which tells me there's going to be another book, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, talk about it's it's really important. I thought it was really important that you maintained. Uh, yes, listen, they're they're on the cover. There's a, there's a certain amount of predictability we can we can get from this book as far as their relationship is concerned. Mm-hmm. But you really, really, really maintain their independence from one another, especially on she's her own person. Um, mm-hmm. she's not going to let somebody tell her what to do necessarily, mm-hmm. especially as she gets more confident, not only, mm-hmm. not only with herself, but with her magic and stuff. But, um, mm-hmm. and that's what I liked about this book is that it's, it's, it's full of, uh, it's full of relationships mm-hmm. and some of them start out sort of like not great and, and drift apart. Some of them start out apart and come together. It, mm-hmm. But I, I really, I really found that you really seem to emphasize that you can't be with somebody until you're until you know who you who you who you yourself are, mm-hmm. and you're stronger together when you're strong when you're just as strong apart. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's, oh, that's such a nice way to put it. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's in relationships, like even with like Taishun and, and uh, mm-hmm. Jima Lee, but especially mm-hmm. with Chen Lingxi and Tang Wei, who are going to, everyone's going to, that's going to be everyone's favorite couple. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's yeah. no doubt about it, but talk mm-hmm. about that. But like, we'll stick with the main characters though, Alt and on, because yes, their, their paths are running and crisscrossing and they're wrapping, yeah. you, they're wrapping around each other, like a barber's pole, but Mm-hmm. there's still this strong sense of like they're they're fiercely independent i think i'm glad you think so um i think it's because i well, for I sure with on for sure with on i think yeah. yeah yeah i think like because when you read the blub it's a slow burn romance right. so i think people go in thinking there will be a lot of romance but i didn't write it you know as a romance fantasy it's a high fantasy with some romance so you know it's kind of like the and the approach is slightly different right um and also because when i had the character of Anne, you know it's i didn't want her to be like not like other girls that's why she has like healthy female friendships mm-hmm. you know right and it's complementary with the rest of the female characters in the book and um i wanted her to like you know not be a mary sue Mm-hmm. um to grapple with like you know a lot of her, with her magic even though she's like so powerful she could use it but she doesn't want to mostly because she's afraid um and i guess i guess because i wasn't focused on the romance maybe that's why um she came out more independent in that sense and um as for Alton, like because he's he's all he has is at the start is he's a very emotionally stunted person at the he, start. He you is, know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah, like, which um, uh, Tang Wei point take every opportunity to point out. <laughs> yeah, she's like, she's like, you know, she, she's like, she's like his best friend, you know, a lesbian trying to get this like sister. Yeah, wood. they've got like yeah, the little walk yeah. of wood to like yeah. feel something because right. he's just so caught up in his trauma and his revenge. He's know, a brooding soft revenge. boy. He's a brooding soft boy. Yeah, he's yeah. a brooding soft boy, yeah. which is yeah. which I guess also kind of makes him well, I wouldn't say he's different from other YA, you know, male characters, but more like I was very adamant that he wasn't going to be toxic. He wasn't going to be mean. He wasn't no, going he's, to be no no. Yeah, no. He wasn't going to flirt. And I think that that unfortunately takes away from some of the romance, but it's also because he he's doesn't know just how. This, he doesn't know. How. Yeah, he's just this <laughs> awkward emotionally stunted person. That's right. You know? That's right. So it's, it's, yeah. So even at the end, you know, it's just it's just you know, yeah. and she's just like, okay, no spoilers, but yeah. um, yeah. yeah. So I think that the end, yeah, the end is funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how I managed to like maintain that kind of like um, I guess dynamic. Yep. between them and also like the two very um very um independent characters and i also wanted to it, this is just a personal thing like i felt like if they were going to like each other this is not a spoiler you can tell it you know from the blog and yeah. how tropes go right. um they were to like each other he's going to be the one who's going to be the sim he's going to be the one who's going to like her more right because when he realizes, right. oh, I have emotions after all, it kind of like just bursts out. Where That's she, right. you know, where was she who has always, you know, been more conscious of how she feels, you know, she, you know, takes it differently when it comes to romance. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It's it's almost like you sort of play around with what we have been given as traditional gender roles in yeah. in, in the West, I'm talking about through yeah. the through the white gays right mm-hmm. like it's whereas in the rest of the world it's it's normal uh mm-hmm. more normal anyways in this in the westerns from a western point of view their gender roles are switched a little bit right she's a little mm-hmm. bit more stern a uh, mm-hmm. little bit more less emotional whereas mm-hmm. he's very emotional doesn't isn't mm-hmm. doesn't handle it well <laughs> but yes but is a little more emotional and gets like sort of out of his uh, to gets twisted up a lot easier which yeah. is sort of like in again in the white western world that's how that's what they tell us how women are supposed to be and men yeah. right so it's like it's yeah. it's a it's a wonderful twist on the gender sort of uh, gender normal sort of situations that we get in in north america all the time and those of us I'm that so glad yeah i'm so happy you picked it up steve because like i don't think anyone has like you know reaffirmed 
this or what I was trying to do. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. It's well, like I said, for the for the of us that read other books, like we know mm-hmm. that this is you know not uncommon in, in other parts of the world, right? In matriarchies mm-hmm. and stuff. But again, mm-hmm. if you if you only read white authors and stuff like that, not all white white authors are bad. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. you know, in in all the years of publishing here, we're we're being fed this idea of how women are supposed to be and how men are supposed to be, right? So, mm-hmm. um, it's a wonderful wonderful uh, little bit of the character sort of switcheroo that you've done there. Um, So we've done an amazing job of avoiding spoilers, I think. And of course we have Mm -hmm. like barely scratched the surface here. And of course, anytime you have this part of the world during this time, almost at any point in the history of the earth, really a lot of this is about power, politics, Mm -hmm. control, you know, Southern colonies and the Xi empire and, and Nanda mm-hmm. fighting for power and control. Mm-hmm. So anytime you have this much, this much up for stake, uh, just this much at stake up for grabs, you're just, you encounter a lot of just power. Like I said, power grabs, bigotry, all these different sorts of things. And this book has all of that as these characters are pushing their way through this story. It's all around them. This chaos, isn't it? They encounter all these things that almost have nothing to do with them but they're thrust mm-hmm. in the middle of it just because that's where their path it's, it's a very forward path for them. And they have one, one path to take. One of them takes them to the water of the undead with this character mm-hmm. named Co- captain Yan, who is hands down mm-hmm. one of my favorite characters in this book. Um, he is, he is so fantastic. He's a great character. I don't want to say too much about him, but he has a wonderful story. His backstory is fantastic. And I love it's characters like him and, uh, Lai and Lei, you know yeah. Lei yeah. and like mm-hmm. again Linksy and you you just have all these wonderful complementary characters. They're not side characters. They're complements to you know that mm-hmm. come in and out of this world. And this is such a great story, uh, June. I'm so happy. I'm so happy for you. Uh, I'm Thank so happy you. for. I'm so happy for me because I get to read it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's so wonderful and. We have done, we have, I, we've got, I mean, we've touched, we've said nothing about this book. So believe me when I tell you out there, whoever's listening, this book is fucking stacked with cool shit. And <laughs> we didn't even talk about like Master Sun. Like there's like, oh, this cast is amazing. Incredible, incredible cast, June. Congratulations. I'm so Thank happy you. for you. I can't encourage people enough out there to buy this book so we can get a part two. <laughs> uh, if and if that never happens, I'm going to bug you to to tell me what happens. But um, we'll get to that. we'll worry about we'll worry about that later on. So, June, please thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank and, you so uh, much for having me. Have a wonderful, wonderful launch. There you have it. Another episode of Everything Is Canon all wrapped up. Huge thanks to June for taking the time to chat. I fell in love with this book, and I'm sure you will too. Definitely recommend. Jadefire Gold is out now, so pick up a copy wherever you buy your books and head on over to juneclton.com to find out more information. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen and head on over to cinelinks.com for the latest movie, TV, books, and gaming news. Please continue to be safe out there. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.